Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast where we're talking all things resilience and revolution. I'm one of your hosts, Andre Henry. And I'm your other host, Trishes. And today we have a special guest with us today. Aisha Khan is joining us in our digital studio, our online studio. Uh, Aisha is a divergent infectious diseases scientist, germ doctor, grassroots organizer, writer, astrobiologist, and educator discovering the science of social justice, decolonization, collectivism, neurodiversity, and liberation. Wow. That's a lot, a lot of stuff. <laughs> so many things. We They're all really the same thing, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to have you on the show today. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for thinking of me. Oh, yeah, it's um, a pleasure. I have been following you on Instagram for a while because I think you were the first person to explicitly say something that many of us have been feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about a mental health crisis and uh, crises in our world. And you were the first person that I saw just plainly saying, the problem is capitalism. It's capitalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I so, mean, it, you would think that there would be more people, yeah, speaking to it. But I guess it's kind of what we're here to discuss. Why do you think more people aren't speaking to it? Why don't we start there? I don't know. I mean, I, I think one, there are a lot of people speaking to it. I'll say I'll start by saying there's a lot of cool people doing this work. Um, there's a lot of. Our communities have also been doing this for thousands of years. That's kind of the decolonizing component of my work is that, you know, we're not inventing something brand new. A lot of it is, I think, reconnecting with our roots and um, returning to a lot of uh, communal healing just approaches that we've always known worked uh, and, and mm-hmm. have done a hell of a job preserving our planet for a long time. So um, but also at the same time, we're still dealing with, I think, unprecedented challenges high existing under late stage capitalism, right? I think there are new things that our generations before us haven't necessarily encountered. So there's definitely an element of like having to come up with like creative ways to come up with new things and adapt um, our traditions to to modern contexts. Um, but I think a big, a big part is that there is this separation between like medicine and science and like other humanitarian fields mm-hmm. and everything else where mm-hmm. um, it's kind of often missing and lacking the same political analysis, right? Like I think people can look at, you know, wall street and be like, that's bad. Like the stock market is bad. Um, Or even, you know, look at corporations that are clearly doing, you know, extractive work like a fossil fuel company or Amazon or whatever, and just go, that's not okay. But for some reason that like uh, translation of these values uh, an analysis to application to medicine and science and nonprofits, for example, that is missing, right? Like, so it's almost harder to point out because these systems claim to be, you know, these benevolent life-saving mechanisms. And that makes it very hard for us to, well, hard for us at the beginning, but eventually you see, realize, you know, the same colonial foundations shape all these systems, which means the approaches that they take to healing are not actually, you know, that the goal isn't healing. It, it really is to get people to to get back to work by any means necessary and patch them up. So as long as they're able to do that or make money off of their sickness, ultimately, right, whichever is more profitable. So wow. I think it's just harder for people to figure it out because they turn, we've been told to turn to these systems as, you know, our saviors, right? But I think uh, unpacking that context and unpacking like, you know, when's the last time we were told to think of something as, you know, the thing that would save us. Right. right. Um, I think it, it kind of is baked in with the same, same colonial logic. Yeah. You know, 
I have so many follow-up questions for you, but I'm wondering if we could ask a really basic question here. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Because like you're saying, like we do have these, a very compartmentalized view mm-hmm. of our society and our lives, in, mm-hmm. I, I think in many ways. So since you are like, we have a legit mental health professional on the show right now, you know? Um, could you connect those dots for our listeners? Like, how how are these... I know that you you kind of already teased, teased it out, but could you kind of break down psychologically or whatever is the appropriate way yeah, yeah. <laughs> for us to yeah, talk yeah. about this? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the problem is What's happening is people, to us, basically? Yeah, yeah. I think part of the way is we do talk about it in very, um, like you said, fragmented terms, right? Like where mm-hmm. we think that people exist in a vacuum and how they feel and how they think and how they behave and, and ultimately their health is... Uh, ultimately just a manifestation of their innate biology, right? And I think those ideas go back to literally colonial logic that was fabricated essentially to justify oppression, right? Like something as simple as race being a a real biological entity, right? Um, That was created to justify, you know, classifying some races as, as inferior and therefore, you know, worthy of enslavement and genocide and exploitation, right? So I think same thing with gender, same thing with sex, same thing with sexuality. Like it, it's been done over and over again, right? So the script mm-hmm. is kind of boring, to be honest. Oppression is like remarkably uninnovative in that way, right? <laughs> so I think in the same way, when when we when we think about capitalism, in order for capitalism to function, it needs us to believe that you know, competition is the natural law of nature, that you know, resources are scarce, we have to fight over them. We are alone. We have to be independent. No one will care for us. And ultimately, if we're hurting, it's either someone else's fault or our fault. Right. So we point the fingers internally or onto someone we should probably be in solidarity with. Right. Like a regular person. And I think that then leads that's kind of the basis of a lot of medicine. Right. It's it's bioessentialism. It's thinking that uh, disease and sickness is a manifestation of. Uh, biological defects and broken biology in some way, right? When in reality, it's even the fact that we draw a line between like where I be, you know, where I end and you begin, that's an arbitrary line, right? Right. At the end of the day, you know, a bunch of cells come together and make a heart in my body, right? And a bunch of organs come together to make organ systems like the cardiovascular system and a bunch of organ systems come together to make me, but then why do we stop there, right? Because a bunch of people in connection with plants, animals, microbes, and the rest of their land come together to make an ecosystem. Ecosystems come together to make a planet. Planets come to, you know what I mean? Like I can keep going, yes. right? So yeah, sure. individu- like the idea of ind- individual, right, is a made up fabrication. And it's a colonial fabrication, right? And it, 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 it's used to get people to conform and assimilate and to, to follow the values of capitalism that are only benefiting the system, but not benefiting us, right? It doesn't actually help us to see ourselves as siloed, isolated individuals that are unaffected by our environment, unaffected by each other, right? Because in reality, I think it's so much more helpful to step back and understand that our, our struggles are actually collective. And even though there's nuances and layers of marginalization that may differ, at the end of the day, you know, we've been all raised, we've been born into a society, most of us into a society that, you know, forced us to earn the right to live, right? Since mm-hmm. day right. one, as babies, we're kind of viscerally aware of that. Like, if I don't, you know, make this work, whatever condition I'm born in, by luck, mm-hmm. I, where am I going to go for food, water, shelter, right. right? So that visceral awareness, I think, ultimately leads us down the line to 
just spending so much of our life thinking, you know, I'm hurting, it's my fault. I'm hurting, what can I do better? I'm hurting. So when we're hurting with any sort of illness, we automatically think, you know, what, what kind of quick fix pill will will make it all go away, yes. right? <laughs> but these issues are, are deeper, mm. right? Like we're sick because the land is sick, right? We're mm. sick, like the same reason that, you know, the same cause and the same root a driver of human illnesses is the same system that's that's making you know our ecosystems sick at large right it's the same reason that the climate crisis is here it's the same reason there's so much widespread ecological destruction so you can't really separate these things and when you separate these things from each other you're not really addressing any of the causes right mm-hmm. so at best you can band-aid them and i think that's what capitalism tries to do right because it's it's motivated by profit it, it, it isn't designed to care about anything right like it turns everything and treats everything as an object. So plants, animals, human beings, and the land are objects that are worthless unless they can be, you know, commodified, extracted from and exploited for profit, right? So right. I think it treats us just like it treats the land. So I think seeing those connections is kind of the only way to even begin to heal, right? Like seeing our interconnectedness and understanding that the approach to healing is always going to be something collective. Right. We can't heal in isolation. Like right. our healing depends on on connection to, to community, to people and land. Has this always been at the center of your work, this perspective, or was it something that what's the story behind how, <laughs> oh, how you absolutely became not. <laughs> this doc, this version of Dr. Khan? Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, I think I'm I, I'm pretty much just like everybody else in that. I think I spend a good portion of my life, majority of my life, I think, wanting to conform and assimilate and uh, fit in and, you know, doing the things that I've been told by the system I should do, must to do, have to do, have to do to survive, right? I think I kind of, I was born in India. um, And even though now looking back, I think there were parts of my life where I kind of knew this, but I think then, you know, all that's the idea, right? Like, I think even when we talk about things like trauma, we often reduce those things to being like, oh, you just had a dysfunctional family. You just had a, you know, that's the, that's the problem with a lot of colonial approaches to mental health, right? Including psychology and, and therapy. Um, but looking back, even at my own childhood, like colonialism and capitalism, like these, these systems defined so much of my life that I really, how I made sense of myself was through the lens of the empire, right? The things that I... I internalized the values of the empire as my own. So mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to get an education. I wanted to get a like, do the best I can. I wanted to work hard because I thought that would save me. Right. And that was essentially, so I, I grew up moving around uh, to just lived in very different countries growing up just in the, in the diaspora as a migrant um, and eventually came to America when I was 17 for college. And I think even at that time, I, there was very much, that persona in me of, you know, if I just work hard and prove that I'm exceptional in some way, then, you know, then maybe things will be okay. Right. And I think I have been constantly trying to fill the void that only community and culture can fill with, you know, degrees and success, the chase of success rather. And I think inadvertently, even though I started organizing early on, like right away when I was like 17 and started college, I started, you know, organizing, I think was my first step into like abolitionist organizing against uh, police and prisons was kind of my first leeway into all of this. But I think ultimately it took years of, of unpacking to even get to the point where I was already trained within colonial medical systems. Right. And I really, I glorified them. I put them on pedestals. I thought, you know, going to this field would make me different than 
than someone on Wall Street, right? And I realized it isn't actually different. It just looks better on the surface. And anyone that's in the field, anyone that's in medicine, in any kind of care work, right? Whether they're a social worker, a counselor, a therapist, I think we have to, like, if you're really, really honest with yourself at the end of the day, like, it is impossible to ignore the fact that we are not healing people, right? That is not what the system is designed to do. Like, you will never walk out with a prescription for food, water, shelter, and Mm. care. And that is always, almost always the reason that people are sick, Mm. the lack of those things, right? And the reason that they keep coming back. So, but then you realize, okay, if the incentive is profit, then keeping people sick and getting them coming back as much as possible is actually better, right? And that drives a lot of medicine, (laughs) Uh, a lot of approaches to treatment, right? The diagnosis and drug model. So I think it wasn't until... Like I, I, I was trained in the system. I was very much, and, and my daytime specialty, I guess, I guess my daytime job is I specialize in the diagnosis of infectious diseases. I'm a clinical microbiologist. So I think even though I thought I chose a field that would be less harmful and COVID kind of made it apparent for me myself, I think being in the field and then working during the pandemic and kind of realizing that there was this fundamental disconnect between how I perceived medicine and my role within medicine, and all of my other political values, right? And I had it really like gotten to the point where I was really understanding what it meant to decolonize, what it really means to like push for collective liberation. I, I, I knew those words, I knew the jargon, right? I didn't really understand what it meant to embody it and act on it every day. And I think when I started thinking about that, it became really obvious that the only the only way forward, essentially, is to see how we could, you know, dismantle these systems and ultimately actually build community care and, and not build in the sense of, you know, we're pioneering or discovering anything that has never existed before, but but very much a combination of of working with people that are already doing this and have done this for for eons, right, And, and going back to our roots. So I think it's a very recent trajectory, right, within the last, I would say, like, maybe five years, um, it's been a humbling trajectory. Um, and I think there was a definitely an arc of me realizing how much the baked into medicine is the logic of some people just knowing more than others. Mm. And that was just fundamentally a colonial like idea driving that. Right. And that, that definitely caressed my own ego too. Right. Like when people are told that people with more degrees that have more power or are in positions of, you know, positions that involve them doing this as a professional and they're being paid to do this, that for some reason that they actually know more. Right. And I think I I hadn't even considered that people that are actually doing transformative healing back from like my village in India would, would never be given the time of day and would never don't have those degrees, don't speak English, don't read even the political theory books that are, you know, put on pedestals, even in our movements in the West. Right. And at the same time that that's what I was missing the whole time. Right. When I was thinking that, 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 you know, there's some forms of healing are superior and that that colonial medicine is, is this advanced creative field. When in reality, now I, I look at it very much as like a remarkably, you know, uninnovative, quite backward um, field that has a lot to do to even, you know, hold a candle to, I think the advanced sort of bold, expansive approaches that traditional medicine has always taken, right? Like for example, for thousands of years already acknowledging that everything is sentient, right? That the land is sentient, plants are sentient, microbes are sentient, animals are sentient. That approach allowed communities to actually do a hell of a job caring for their ecosystems, right? Something that we're struggling now to figure out how we can do. And 
But, you know, did they really have to study it, dissect it mechanically, measure it, quantify it to prove, you know, that it, well, they just believed that and it worked, right? And I think seeing that uh, colonial science's obsession with uh, objectivity and eventually realizing objectivity doesn't exist, right? Like nothing is objective. There, that, that is not a real concept. Everything is objective, right? It's always biased by how we, how we, how we look at the world and how we perceive the world shapes the way we want to study it or quantify it. Right. For sure. Um, yeah. So I think it's been a very recent trajectory to, to really sit with what it means to be a healer when I'm not just trying to like succeed within academic medicine and realizing and accepting that like, that's not where I'm going to do. <laughs> that's not going to be where I'm going to be healing. Um, maybe it's harm reduction at best. Right. And I think, I firmly believe that if anyone's involved in any sort of care field, you can either be a cop, uh, an executioner, or or an abolitionist. And I really think mm. it's hard to to grapple with any middle ground there, you know. And I think a lot of us have to then think about what does it look like to do healing outside of these systems. What does it mean to do this work in our community in a way where we're actually practicing in real time how this works? On a personal level, how was reconciling this thing you had put on a pedestal and that you had really built a lot of your life around um, and realizing that it wasn't what it had appeared to be um, on a mental, emotional level. And then also just like in a practical everyday sort of way, how, how did you go about that change? Yeah, I think that's something that in honestly, everybody has to do on their journey to like, when we think about what it means to actually embody values of collective liberation, I feel like it literally means to take some sort of transformation that will involve killing, you know, the cop capitalist cop colonizer in your head, like whatever that looks like for you, like we all got to do it right. And I think for me, a lot of it, there's no point of arrival. I think it's it's been very clear to me as I just keep learning and growing that I will always learn something you know, next week that I didn't know the prior week, if I'm open to it, right? So this isn't a, you know, getting to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm done. I've, I've, you know, I've fully decolonized, I fully, you know, separated myself from capitalist colonial values. And I'm, I don't think that's even possible, right? Ultimately, we're, li- we're you know, living within the matrix trying to take it down, right? Or trying to live by the, the other values, right? So I think it's actually accepting that we're not above the bullshit, right? I think for me, it involved me actually recognizing like how I've been shaped by these systems, how they've socialized me to convince myself that I care about success, that I want to, you know, when really that there was no I there, I never had agency. It wasn't a choice. I was, you know, manipulated and all this propaganda was put onto me. And then I was told that I can't survive unless I do these things. And my, you know, we all have an intrinsic need for validation, right? Like we need love care. So at the same time, not having uh, access to a lot of that at, at huge swaths of you know moments in my life, and I really inevitably thought that 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 would come from being successful. You know, like looking for that love and care was really what got me to attach so much of my worth to success. So I think going through that process of even separating myself from these things that I had put put on a pedestal was just like inevitably was going to be necessary. It may look different for different people, right? Regardless of what we've told ourselves, but I think like questioning when I've told, told myself that I'm better than someone else and why. Mm. Right. And yeah. like, why do I think I know everything? And what I know today is inevitably correct or true or real. 
because, you know, just as an organizer, like in a separate realm, right? Like not, not within medicine, but as an organizer in our political movements, we can see, you know, political social justice jargon being used to exert, you know, a moral superiority complex, right? Being like, right? Like we know, so it, it happens over and over again. And I think all of that is a result of people not really reckoning with the fact that like, we are not above the bullshit. So if we're living under capitalism, it is going to influence the way we look and perceive the world. It is, right? So if, if we've been like all of these colonial values are, are dominantly shaping the way that the world's infrastructure exists, right? And it's shaping our life and how we structure our lives, then the fact that I'm going to be isolated for a good part of my day, severed from community and severed from the land, that's just, that's what I need to do to have a job. That is obviously going to take a toll on my well-being. So when I'm really vulnerable and when I'm the most isolated is when I'm most likely to still till today, like bounce back. Right. And start thinking of, you know, things like, oh, damn it. Like if I just had more, you know, maybe I should just work work harder or being jealous of people. Right. Like all of these things start to come up. And I realize like that's when we're most susceptible to listening to the, the capitalist colonizer in our head. Right. So I think there's never been a point where it like went away. I think at some point it helped for me to just accept that so much of me was shaped by these systems that I think to do justice to our communities, the path forward was to figure out what it, like, who are we when we're not shaped by values of of colonialism and capitalism? And it's a painful process, but I think it's more painful for me to pretend like I know everything or pretend like I'm better than everyone else because you can't defend that shit for too long because it's not true. Right. And to hold on to that kind of ego well, that's just exactly like what like, you know, colonizer logic looks like, right? Being scared all the time and being scared of being wrong, being terrified of getting something, you know, being incorrect. And when you're, you know, faced with information that's logical and makes a lot of sense and would probably liberate you, but you're, it, it, you know, it, it makes you uncomfortable because it's different than what you already believe. It's almost like, you know, you'll, you'll hit that moment over and over and over again in your life. Do you want to, when you get to that point, you know, be so afraid of admitting that, holy shit, like I was wrong, right? Or do you want to kind of just like go and be like, shit, I did it again. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm here <laughs> and I'm learning something new. And so I think it, it was eventually easier to take the route of, mm. of just detaching my identity from capitalism, from, you know, from whatever I had put on the pedestal, right? Because I think ultimately happiness always lies in, in being connected with a person next to you, right? Not looking down on someone or looking up at someone, right? Ultimately, it's always about building relationships with like reciprocal, equitable relationships with people around us and, and with the land. So I think that became an easier route, even though till this day, I think it's just a struggle, right? When you dedicate most of your life to attaching your worth to these things, you, you're spending the rest of your life figuring out who you are when, when that's gone. So there's definitely a huge void that comes with that, right? And mm-hmm. I think- so it's it's difficult to try to like figure out who you are when you're not just chasing whatever they told you to chase. Um, I find your life story very interesting. Um, I'd love to hear a little more about it because um, it sounds like you you lived in a bunch of different countries, and I'm curious as someone I've I've lived in Trinidad and I've lived here. Um, if that sort of upbringing had a big impact on how you see these structures, or if you really saw like a common through line of um, the impacts of colonialism throughout your youth? Yeah, I think pretty early on, I was more collectivist oriented, at least because I had lived in such different collectivist communities around the world. And at the same time, I think 
I realized I was kind of an anarchist before I had the words to call myself that or the language to call myself that because just moving around in different countries, I realized very quickly that there's good people everywhere and there's shit, you know, oppressive systems and governments everywhere. And, you know, I've even lived in countries that even the left would debatably put on pedestals, right? Like I've lived, I've lived in Russia, Moscow, Russia for for three to four years. Russia is a fucking capitalist country. And, you know, so I'm not uncomfortable (laughs) calling out an empire, even if it's not the US, right? And I think, so I've lived in the Middle East. So I think very quickly, I, I at least appreciated that the solutions aren't going to be begging people in authority to throw crumbs at us, right? right? And it doesn't matter whether it was like the US imperial empire, which is sure, by far the most destructive, you know, like devastating in, in the scale of the planet. But at the same time, you know, all nation states are ultimately hierarchies that are imposing control and exploiting their populations, right? Regardless of what they call themselves. and. So I think very early on, I saw that at, at the end of the day, communities on the ground, right? Communities caring for each other, like culture, music, art, right? All of these things are like the things that we're fighting for. And mm. a lot of people are doing this. So I think in hindsight, it was a little, it was humbling early on to realize that like, you know, it's not that there's one right way. I think I had already seen that there's multitudes and the only way forward is if we fight for a world where multitudes can exist, right? Mm-hmm. Not one way, not one culture, not one way of eating, not one way of living, not one political system that's homogeneously applied to the entire planet. It doesn't work that way, right? Like my ecosystem, the moment I go to the ecosystem next to me, I can't possibly know the needs of that community to decide what to do for them, right? So I think early on that power analysis sort of like was humbling, just realizing that like every time you meet a new community, like you can't, you know, unless you're there, unless you have these intimate relationships with people where you're spending day-to-day life together, right? Like it's very hard to actually understand what their needs are. And if Mm -hmm. so, that's the only way to actually understand what communities' needs are to build relationships, right? So I think coming to the US, it did help early on because I think I, I was a little unabashed in my search for community here. But I also, I think the contrast with how obvious, obviously more individualistic and alienated and isolated everything was here compared to everywhere else I'd lived was also just Mm -hmm. this huge, you know, huge culture shock and and just contrast, right? Like how much people are focused here on like jobs and career and individual goals and individual pursuit of whatever, you know, success, like whatever it is, whether it's like whatever milestone, you know, that they've been telling themselves they need to hit, right? Like, Uh, get a job, get a family, have some kids, get a car. Like it was just so clear that in the U S at least. And I think now I've come to realize in a lot of Western, you know, Western communities and even in urban cities in the global South, right? Like things that are really captured by capitalism most people are just isolated and alienated. And I think that was the hardest contrast for me coming to the U S that realizing that a lot of the collectivist infrastructure that had so heavily relied on in other communities Mm-hmm. around the world like that wasn't always a given here that we had to very much create that from 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 scratch like really unabashedly seek each other out try to you know you have to schedule hangouts into people's calendars like months like i'm like what it like it's it would be weird if i just popped into someone's apartment with like food right like right. that would be weird in america but it's so normal and and that level of comfort right that consistency mm-hmm doing rituals, having rituals together, whether it's cultural rituals, spiritual rituals, that consistency where there is no greater 
purpose in life than each other. Like this is, mm-hmm. this, this is it. That's it. That's the whole point of being alive, right? To, to love and care about each other. That's it. But here, it, almost like everything was about a greater pursuit. Everything was a means to a greater mm-hmm. end. And the greater end being some sort of yeah. self, self-advancement, right? Even if it's healing, even healing is so self-centered where it's just like, I would like to elevate myself, you know, and lighten myself mm-hmm. and, and be more. <laughs> so everything becomes baked into this like individualistic narrative here, you know, and yeah. I think that was the hardest, but it was kind of beautiful to see that so many people and hopeful at the end of the day that, you know, we, you don't have to be the only one to figure it out. People around the world are doing this, you know, regular people are doing this people that are very different than us. So at the end of the day, I think till the, till today, probably just seeing how many people different kinds of people are going about this in the way that they can is still a source of hope for me today when in America, it can feel a little isolating. Yeah. Could you tell us about your email list, uh, your Substack, mm-hmm. and the work that you're doing there? Um, the woke scientist and uh, I'm curious about uh the sense of mission that drives you? Like, what are you trying to accomplish there in, with your Substack? Yeah, I, I guess that's, it's funny because that's like a, a paradox kind of what I just said, I guess about a, accomplishment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, and it's hard to not let it be that because that's what it's, that's actually been what, what I've been struggling with to not make this thing, um, you know, you know, kind of like when you do something you love and care about but then you're paid to do it. It kind of takes away the integrity of the work itself because capitalism has a great way of co-opting just about everything. Yes. <laughs> so it, it is an ongoing struggle to figure out how to do this by maintaining integrity. But ultimately, I think when I started, I actually think all of this was an accident. Like it wasn't none, none of like where, you know, whatever, like uh, social media presence or whatever I have um, was an intentional, like it's not like I made an account and then it was like, you know, I'm going to do this and nothing wrong with doing that. But like it, COVID, basically, I, I took my very private account, which was just for my friends and did what I was doing in movements already, just mm-hmm. behind the scenes, like, you know, writing, teaching workshops, um, just doing all the work that I was already doing in, in community. And because of COVID and the nature of being away from community, just like started to make like little infographics or whatever, doing the same thing and talking about the same things. And at the urging of certain friends just made that Instagram account public. Like if you still scroll down my Instagram, you're going to see some like cringe versions of myself in college. It's not, don't do it. Um, but yeah, so I think that serendipitously led to me realizing, Oh, cool. Like this is a cool pathway to, to build relationships. And then eventually being on it long enough makes you realize, Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Um, I'm understanding how oppression works <laughs> through algorithms. <laughs> um, so I think the move to, to Substack was honestly a, a largely an effort to be like, you know, I know we're not, there's no way I can possibly reduce the complexity of what community care entails in like 10 slides, let alone 140 mm-hmm. character tweet. And that's what people expected me to do. Right. And they mm-hmm. still expect me to do, but I think, I think I'm more desensitized now to that kind of and, and understanding that social media does breed, you know, polarization and extremes, right? Whether that extreme is anger or people telling me, you know, they love me and they put me on a pedestal because both of those are dehumanizing, right? Right. right. Um, and don't acknowledge the full extent of our complexity. So yeah. I think it was an effort for me to just like, one, get off that platform and find something else that would allow me to actually like write 
and talk in a way that is less inhibited. You know, there's, there isn't a time limit, time limit or a word count <laughs> and do it in a way that's again, a much smaller platform that actually allows me to interact with people and engage with them. So as part of the Substack, I basically, for example, do like, you know, healing community sessions once mm-hmm. a month. Um, and just like little offerings like that, that actually allows me to build relationships with people, even acknowledging that, you know, it can't be the same as a local relationship, like a real life relationship that I have. Right. But still, even as a healer or an artist, you actually like what I crave is connection at the end of the day. Right. And like likes don't mean anything, you know, like that never like really made me, if anything, it it put me in a toxic place where I was then suddenly obsessed with again, colonial metrics, right? Like thinking that more likes is better, less likes is not, not good. So I think it was just a a push for me to do this work more sustainably, still struggling with figuring out how to not feel guilty about not producing enough fast enough, right? Like the same, the same stuff comes up over and over again, but I think it's a more compassionate space that has allowed me to be a little more messier than Instagram allowed for. Yeah. Well, I know we have to wrap up, but we always like to end with this question. What keeps you going? Ooh, sometimes I don't know. Um, Yeah, that's a hard question. And I think the easiest way to answer that is that I think in the last few years, I kind of took a political sort of collectivist decolonized approach to even understanding my relationship with societality. And I think accepting that, that I didn't want to live made me actually, and that this may always be a thing I kind of float in and out of made me question, what is it that we need to, to, to live? Like what would make me want to live and what would make other people want to live? And I think at the end of the day, that is, if anything, what keeps me going every now and then, which is, community and and culture and seeing how much love and care is around me, even in ways that I may not fully understand, right? Like whether it's like a butterfly landing on a flower, just like seeing that it's not just other people, but others, other beings that are capable of such expansive community care that, you know, we've reduced humanity to the blunders and mistakes of a, of a, of a tiny few, right? And yes, it's caused so much havoc and destruction. And sometimes that brutality and oppression and focusing on that brutality and oppression can make us question, you know, what's the point? But I think at the end of the day, the point isn't the stuff that we're fighting or we're against. It's more the stuff that we're for, right? The beautiful, the beautiful stuff that we're fighting for, which, which yeah. is our relationships, love, care, and culture. So I think mm. right now, trying to shift my focus away from just, you know, being anti-capitalist, being anti-this, anti-that to what I'm for is kind of... Yeah what's keeping me going thank you for sharing with that that with us that is um i resonate i resonate <laughs> relatable content i used to thank you thank you so much thank for you so much for being here uh, yeah being here with us and sharing from your story and your insight and all of that with us and thank you all for listening to the hope and heart Pills podcast again uh you will hear from us next week and we're gonna send it over to ross Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for choosing to listen today. You can catch up with our hosts online. Trish's is at Trish's Music. That's spelled T-R-I-S-H-E-S Music on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Andre is at the Andre Henry on Instagram and TikTok, and at Andre Henry on Twitter. Catch the songs you heard today and more of their music on Spotify. 
If you'd like to support what we're doing here and see the video of Andre and Trisha's conversation, you can join the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Andre Henry. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.